Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning and they do a great job. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including William Yateman. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about uh, things, current news, especially this infrastructure saga and, and more. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon, who's the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Jack Wirt is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Just announced his retirement coming up, I believe, at the beginning or end of September. And then Dave Bigo, <clears throat> the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep will be joining us as well. It is July the 2nd, and on this day in 1776, the Second Continental Congress assembled in Philadelphia, formally adopts uh, Richard Henry Lee's resolution for independence from Great Britain. The vote was unanimous, with only New York abstaining. The resolution had originally been presented to Congress on June the 7th, but soon became clear that New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and South Carolina were as yet unwilling to declare independence, though they would likely be ready to vote in favor of a break with England in due course. Thus, Congress had agreed to delay the vote on Lee's resolution until July the 1st. In the intervening period, Congress appointed a committee to draft a formal declaration of independence. Its members were John Adams of Massachusetts, Ben Franklin, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, uh, Robert R. Livingston of New York, and Thomas Jefferson of Virginia. Thomas Jefferson was well known to be the best uh, writer of the group, was selected as the primary author of the document, which was to be presented to Congress on June 28, 1776. On July the 1st, the debate on the resolution resumed as planned, with a majority of the delegates favoring resolution. Congress thought it uh, at most uh, utmost importance that the independence be unanimously proclaimed. To ensure this, they delayed the final vote until July the 2nd, when 12 colonial delegations voted in favor, with New York delegates abstaining, unsure of how their constituents would wish them to vote. John Adams wrote that July 2nd would be celebrated as the most memorable epic in the history of America. Instead, of course, the day has been largely forgotten in favor of July the 4th, uh, when Jefferson's edited Declaration of Independence was adopted. Just think of the bravery of these people going back. Their, their great leadership was just unbelievable. So I value it so much. Our 245th birthday again on July the 4th. Well, Tropical Storm Elsa is showing signs of strengthening uh, late, late last night as it's uh, raced west-northwestward towards the Lesser Antilles, according to the National Hurricane Center's 11 p.m. advisory. The latest advisory has most of Florida in the five-day cone. The storm's maximum sustained winds have intensified from 45 to 50 miles an hour since 8 p.m. Uh, that would be considered a hurricane category one. A storm's maximum sustained winds at least 74 miles an hour. A tropical storm watch has been issued for Jamaica and portion of Dominican Republic as Elsa heads towards the Lesser Antilles. A watch has also been issued for portions of Haiti as it rapidly uh, moving storm continues to move west-northwestward. 
hopefully uh, these islands will break up the strength of the hurricane. Don't want to see anything like we saw a couple of years ago. Well, after a week of nonstop search and rescue efforts at the uh, Chaplin Towers, South Condo, and Surfside, the number of dead took on an even more sobering tone when it was announced that two of the six bodies recovered uh, were children aged 4 and 10. This brings the death toll to 18, with 147 still unaccounted for. They stopped uh, the search for a little while. I guess they they resumed the search. They're concerned about the uh, stability of than anything to happen to these people who take or searching. President Biden and First Lady uh, Jill Biden w- met with the victims' families and first responders when workers from Concrete Protection, Restoration, and Morabito consultants arrived to investigate uh, and remediate work at Chaplin Tower South. Now, this goes back to uh, 2020. They found such extensive concrete deterioration and corrosion of the reinforcement that some of the repair work couldn't be performed for fear it might affect the stability of nearby areas. In a summary of work performed dur- uh, produced by Morbido Consultants on October the 13th, 2020, the company reported it discovered several issues, including potentially deep deterioration of concrete near the pool area. <clears throat> so there's, uh, of course, you can't jump to conclusions, but uh, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Apparently, it was never started, and uh, all of this could have, a number of things could have contributed to the destruction of this tower. It's just unbelievable tragedy. Well, the Supreme Court on Thursday upheld a law put in place by the state of Arizona. In a 6-3 to three vote, the court reversed a ruling from a lower court that said Arizona's laws could not could not stand. Arizona's law put limits on those who are allowed to turn in early ballots on behalf of others, which is what's known as ballot harvesting, and said that the ballots were cast in the wrong precinct do not need to be counted. The Supreme Court said that the provisions were not racially discriminatory. It was the appeals court in San Francisco that said said the law was discriminatory saying that the minority voters were disproportionately affected by the laws. The majority opinion was uh, written by Justice Samuel Alito, who said that the court declines in these cases to announce a test to govern all VRA challenges uh, to rules that specify the time, place, or manner for which casting ballots. It is sufficient for present purposes to identify certain guideposts that lead to the court's decision in these cases. Justice Elena Kagan wrote that in her dissent that what is tragic here is that the courts have yet again rewritten in order to weaken a statute that stands as a monument to America's greatness and protects against its baseless impulses. What is tragic is the court has damaged a statute designed to bring about the end of discriminating in voting. I respectfully dissent, she uh, wrote. <clears throat> this court has no right to make us remake Section 2, Kagan's uh, dissent read. Uh, and she went on, but she, she was very unhappy with the decision. By the way, this vote was right along uh, guidelines of uh, conservative versus uh, progressive uh, judges. Uh, so that's one thing. No bar- uh, harvesting of ballots is, is uh, the good news. And uh, the people have also failed in the Senate to reach the 60 votes necessary to pass. See, the signed by J- Governor Brian Kemp on March 25th, the 95-page Georgia law overhauls much of Georgia's previous voting laws, including making changes to absentee voting, early uh, voting, and uh, voter ID requirements. Many of the changes were made consist of removal of specific pandemic-inspired provisions that were put in place 
to make it easier to avoid contagion while voting. So the good news here is that it looks like if this is precedent, stare decisis, if, uh, uh, this may be a precedent for other decisions that come down the pike with regard to ballot harvesting, and it's a, it's a big blow to the Democrats when it comes to this federal uh, intrusion into the voting uh, state's voting rights. The Supreme Court also on Thursday struck down a California rule requiring not-for-profits to disclose the names and addresses of largest donors delivering a victory to a pair of conservative groups that challenged the requirement as unconstitutional. Again, a 6-3 decision, which divided the nine justices along ideological lines, reversed a 2018 appeals court ruling, siding with California's Attorney General. The rule has forced nonprofits to give the state their so-called Schedule B forms, which include the personal information of all donors nationwide who had contributed more than $5,000 in the tax year. The state had argued it was needed that the information to help police misconduct by charities. Uh, we don't doubt that the California has an important interest in preventing wrongdoing by charitable organizations, wrote Chief Justice John Roberts, but there is a dramatic mismatch between the interest that the Attorney General seeks to promote and the disclosure uh, regime that he has Im implemented in the service to, of that end, he wrote. <clears throat> the conservative ju uh, chief justice noted that about 60,000 charities renew their registration each year and that virtually all of them were required to provide a Schedule B form. This information includes donors' names and the total contribution they have made to the charity as well as their addresses. Given the amount of sensitivity of this information harvested by the state, one would expect Schedule B collection to be form of integral part of California's fraud detection uh, efforts. It does not, Roberts wrote. This is great. So, again, protecting our information, uh, no reason for this to be distributed. And, of course, this would, uh, if you knew your name was going to be distributed in public information, it would perhaps give you pause for making co larger contributions to organizations, uh, which uh, is, would be bad. The Attorney General and the dissent contend that alternative means of obtaining Schedule B information, such as subpoena or audit letter, are inefficient and ineffective compared to an upfront collection, Roberts wrote. It became clear at the trial, however, that the office had not even considered alternatives to current disclosure requirement. Two good decisions, two great Supreme Court decisions. I don't know if you heard about this, but this is so interesting. Marjorie Taylor Greene joined Steve Bannon uh, the other morning, and she was uh, fired up over the National Children's Museum in Washington, D.C. They apparently had all this uh, uh, critical race theory and all the things that uh, we don't like. Uh, <clears throat> and so the uh, museum agreed to take them down uh, from their website and, and appealed, basically claimed ignorance and didn't know they were there, in order to get a $10 million funding from Congress. Well, uh, after they voted for the funding and the museum got the funding, uh, they put the stuff back on the website. So Marjorie Taylor Greene told the War Room audience to reach out to the National Children's Museum and vote, voice their outrage about the racist material. <laughs> it crashed the website, the museum website. I like the cut of her jib. She's great. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jack Work. He's the executive director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Right now we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, for the what, last couple of years, we've been talking about the, <laughs> the infra- I'm exaggerating, the infrastructure saga, uh, and uh, the story keeps changing. Biden, uh, for example, I, it's just inex- inexplicable. It makes your head spin to think that he would actually walk back... Uh, well, let tell us about what's going on. <laughs> you bet. Um, the the latest in the saga. So where we left off uh, last time was that about, uh, Biden, to much hoopla, um, announced with the so-called G twenty one or that group of twenty one moderate senators a big bipartisan framework on traditional infrastructure spending, and this entailed about five hundred and eighty billion dollars in new spending. 
Um, a couple hours later, Biden had a different press conference with uh, Speaker Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, in which he basically threatened to veto the bill, the, the infrastructure package he had just been heralding, um, unless it was coupled with another spending measure of four to six trillion dollars. Um, Republicans, they were outraged. They thought it was a bait and switch, mm-hmm. um, and, and we, we talked about that on Friday. So what happened? Over the weekend, um, on Saturday, Biden issues a 600-word statement in which he completely walks back that second press conference. Um, so Republicans, or you know, at least the Republican negotiators that he had been working with in the G21, they appeared to be placated. Hmm. Um, at the same time, progressives were outraged. So then on Monday, his, uh, his administration takes to the phones to try to placate them. Um, and it's not quite sure uh, what he told them, but they appear to be satisfied, too. Um, so he's walking a tightrope here, and it's, it's uh, very much unclear as to how this is going to play out. Yeah, he is walking, but uh, didn't Pelosi, didn't she say uh, uh, she's not going to bring uh, this to the floor, this bipartisan uh, package, unless uh, they do the second package first? Something to that effect? Yes, that would be in the wake of the Monday discussions that I spoke of. She she actually twice this week on Wednesday and Thursday um, stated that that the House will not proceed. I mean, she categorically said that they will not consider the bipartisan infrastructure package unless the Senate also passes a multi-trillion dollar uh, spending bill to their liking. Um, Along these lines as well, the Progressive Caucus, which has 105 members, I believe, I'm in the House of Representatives, but um, it's been reported that 60% of their members have threatened to not support the bipartisan deal unless, again, it is coupled with a linked to, that seems to be the parlance of the day, um, a progressive spending bill to their liking. So the situation is very fluid, and it's not clear whether or not the White House and the House of Representatives are on the same page. Yeah, I just uh, have difficulty uh, believing that uh, progressives would march in lockstep to support a four to six trillion dollar spending bill. Uh, I, can't, I just can't believe they'd all do that. It's uh, it, they need nearly everybody to do that to pass. <laughs> it is uh, uh, certainly <laughs> their politics, and, and indeed the uh, Pelosi's politics here. It's not clear if they're palatable or if they make sense. And by that, I mean um, President Biden went on the road this week to trumpet the bipartisan infrastructure spending deal. I mean, he spoke at length about it um, and about this bipartisan accomplishment uh, before an audience in Wisconsin. He didn't once mention um, the possibility of another 4 to $6 trillion in spending, mm. and at least to my ear, that suggests that um, at least this administration knows that that one deal, um, that bipartisan deal of $580 billion of new spending, which uh, I'll add as an aside, I, I'm not sure whether or not that's even necessary. There's already $750-odd billion worth of infrastructure spending already on the books, you know, coming down the pike. But setting that aside, um, it, 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 it remains... Uh, 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 well, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> well, yeah, let me ask, uh, just cutting to the chase, how's this all going to end up? Well, it's going to end up uh, as far as Senator Manchin allows it. He seems to be 
um, the linchpin in the Senate. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders has sort of put down the first marker for that uh, second package, and he, he has a $6 trillion price tag. Senator Manchin has balked at that. Uh, it's been reported that, that he is considering a $2 trillion measure, so he's actually on board with hmm. this Democrat-only uh, second package. Um, but now it's just a matter of the price tag. That he he that he seems to be coalescing around a two trillion dollar number, and he wants it fully paid for by an increase in the corporate tax rate from twenty one percent to twenty five percent, an increase in the capital gains rate from twenty percent to twenty eight percent. So mm. those seem to be the parameters of the intra Democrat debate uh, regarding infrastructure spending right now. Oh, doesn't sound good. So. Hey, <laughs> Before I let you go, can we? Uh, can you just comment on the, the Trump Organization CFO getting indicted uh, uh, yesterday? It was on TV. It was just despicable, display, in my opinion. What are your thoughts? Well, we've spoken about this before, and uh, so evidently the charge here of uh, in regards to the propriety of fringe benefits. Um, even CNN reported that tax evasion specialists say this sort of charge is ultra-rare. Um, and it, it, we've spoken about this before. If Trump had not been president, it, I guess it, it, it certainly seems to be the case that these charges never would have been brought. So it does appear to be political. And more broadly, I understand that violent crime is up something like 40% in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, And one wonders about uh, how much sense it makes for a joint district attorney, um, uh, New York district attorney and New York AG, uh, attorney general investigation into, uh, uh, you know, the propriety of fringe benefits as they pertain to to taxes. Um, So uh, that just seems like a... Uh, that allocation of resources seems pretty strange to me. And uh, again, in this country where we do process is such a foundational rule, this notion of a politicized prosecution makes me wary. Uh, me too. I just, uh, I can't believe this, this is going to splash all over the Democrat Party ultimately because this behavior is so transparently political and uh, and not judicial at all. William Aitman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Coming up, uh, Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. 
Blue Provence French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app from the uh, website choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So last week you shared with your personal story about your son, and uh, he received his first shot, I think it was, and uh, had somewhat of a negative reaction. And you're now contemplating whether you are contemplating whether he should get the second shot, as I recall. And uh, uh, going to camp was one of the big things hanging in the balance. The camp re required everybody to get vaccinated. Try to get it all right. Well, yeah, the camp is really the main benefit for him uh, because if he gets both doses of the vaccine, then there is no chance that they will send him home uh, from camp uh, for the two weeks that he's there, and he won't have to do any of those uncomfortable nasal swabs to get tested. And so for him personally, that was the main attraction. Yeah. But we were concerned because... He had some funny feeling in his chest after he got the first dose of Pfizer. And we talked last week about how myocarditis has appeared in some of the adolescent males who have received those the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. And so here we've got our 12-year-old son. There's some benefits to him. There are benefits to society if he gets the second dose as well. The benefits of the second dose, though, uh, are less than the benefits of uh, the first uh, at the margin. The benefits are smaller. And so we were trying to make this decision about what is the best thing for him, given those benefits and this risk we were facing that we were concerned about of, you know, what if he was experiencing some mild myocarditis? Mm -hmm. what, uh, could he have a serious case of it after he gets the second dose? But we, we spoke with him. We did our research. Actually, in the, in the opposite order, we did the research, presented it to him, and uh, he uh, he was not concerned with the risk, uh, especially once we uh, pointed out that uh, the risk of 
uh, heart problems and other issues is actually greater if you get the disease than, uh, than the risk of getting it from the vaccine. And so uh, we decided and he agreed that he should get the second dose. We kept a very close eye on him, the you know, 24, 48 hours after that. And he didn't have any real side effects after the second dose of Pfizer other than a really tender shoulder where they gave him the shot. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great story. Great. Uh, <laughs> happy it worked out that way. And I'm, I know that uh, it was a difficult decision because when you start messing with, <clears throat> you know, with uh, pain in the chest for a young person. And you said he's 12 years old? That's correct. 12 years old. And it, <clears throat> and it made it not so much an abstraction. You know, it's very easy to look at the data and say, oh, the risk is very small. Uh, it's a little different when it comes to your own child and different still when he exhibits a symptom that is consistent with this, uh, with this very, very uh, low probability uh, but serious adverse event. Yeah. And uh, and so it was uh, it was a struggle uh, to to make that decision. I think we made the right one, and I'm glad we uh, incorporated him in the decision making process yeah. to get his input, and and so he would know what he was getting into as well. Well, thanks uh, for sharing that. I mean, it just uh, brings to light. I think uh, the risks involved in in everything, just about. So getting the uh, vaccine, not getting the vaccine, and now. Any comments at all about this Delta variant? Uh, what's ha- what's going on in that front? It appears to be about twice as transmissible this Delta variant as the original uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus. So this is very concerning because it is now you know it's spreading like wildfire, as they say in the United States. Not so much among vaccinated people. If you receive uh, uh, if if you get fully vaccinated, then uh, those, the current vaccines appear to do a very good job of preventing hospitalization from even the Delta variant. There's some concern that the, the severity of disease uh, from the, under the Delta variant is going to be greater than or is greater than under the original uh, virus or the Alpha or other variants. But the vaccines do appear to be protecting against that as well. And so, and if you get uh, if you get uh, infected, uh, you're much. Uh, if you get vaccinated, you could get infected with the Delta variant. But the likelihood of uh, symptoms and the likelihood of hospitalization surely is much lower. So, really, what the Delta variant uh, emphasizes is the need to get vaccinated it does uh, the vaccines do protect against this as well and there's a real concern that in areas of the country that uh in areas of the country where vaccination rates are low the delta variant could spread much faster than any of the other variants that we've seen um and uh and we could end up with a lot of hot spots where we don't need to if more people got vaccinated so i which brings up the issue of uh Therapeutics, and uh, uh, as you mentioned on the show, we we talked about it in passing that uh, hydroxychloroquine would be a, a good therapeutic. But the, and you mentioned that hey, it's available; doctors can prescribe it. But there certainly seems to be a lot, real dampening of uh, or 
lack of promotion on the part of the federal uh, agencies like the CDC. They just they don't want to approve that. And I would imagine that drug companies would prefer to sell vaccines than therapeutics. So uh, I, I guess my question is, uh, why is this happening? So the drug companies will go where the money is. If the uh, if the, if the money to be made in vaccines, they'll they'll produce those. And the same as with therapeutics. Uh, it almost doesn't. One nice thing about uh, the controversy over hydro, hydroxychloroquine right now is it almost doesn't matter what the FDA says as long as they don't take it off the market. Right. Because once a drug is on the market, doctors can prescribe it for whatever they want. Yeah. And so doctors and patients largely have uh, freedom to choose how to, whether and how to use hydroxychloroquine. The FDA has issued some warnings about hydroxychloroquine. Uh, they, they issued one yesterday, uh, a review of the safety issues, that talks about how there are uh, heart rhythm problems and other issues, uh, side effects associated with the use of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, that's generally inoffensive to me because that's just information that the government is providing and, and can inform mm-hmm. people's decision-making. Uh, but the... the the uh, the use of hydroxychloroquine right now is largely unregulated by the government. I think that's as it should be because that means that people, patients, doctors get to make these decisions uh, according to what uh, uh, according to the patient's preferences and that who should matter most. Uh, I'm much more concerned with uh, things like the FDA holding up vaccines or new therapeutics than I am with how they're handling hydroxychloroquine. Okay, well, uh, another name that comes to mind, probably mispronouncing it because I don't have the name here in front of you, Imervectin, is it? They're the Apparently, is another therapeutic that has uh, gets great results, but again, not approved uh, for uh, uh, by uh, federal agencies, by like the CDC, as a therapeutic. Well, the, the CDC does not approve drugs uh, for for sale in the United States, that's the FDA. Right. And the, sa- and, and the story here is the same. Once the FDA approves a drug for any indication, uh, for just one indication, doesn't matter what it is, as soon as it's on the market, doctors can prescribe it for anything they choose. And so, patients can take that drug for anything they choose, assuming they have a, a doctor's prescription. Uh, and, and so, uh, again... Uh, I think that says it should be, because uh, to do otherwise, to deny patients their right to choose their own treatment, and uh, they, what they need is uh, what patients need is advice and information. Yep. And I, I, I think that if we're they don't have another another problem with the way we regulate drugs in this country is patients don't get enough information about uh, uh, their their, their uh, options in terms of pharmaceuticals. And uh, I lay the blame for that at, at the feet of the government, not just the FDA, yeah. but a hundred years of government interventions that have, that have blocked and, and crowded out and uh, subsidized uh, the competition for health systems that would be providing us with the sort of information we need Absolutely. Uh, to make intelligent decisions. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary on these just critical issues. Thank you so much for joining us.
Anytime, Bob. Take All care. Right, thank you. Coming up, uh, Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us on the, here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Jack. And uh, by the way, I saw that uh, you've announced your intended retirement coming up, I guess, in September. And right. I must say, its uh, I don't know how anybody's going to replace you because you are the true ambassador uh, for the Paradise Coast. I think you've done an outstanding job. Thank you, Bob. It's it certainly with mixed emotions, but, uh, you know, the, um, what we're going to talk about a little today is if you got to do it the, 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 when... The market is up and everything's doing good. I guess that's the time to exit, right? That makes a lot of sense to me. So, uh, Jack, uh, we've gone through a difficult period with regard to tourism, such an important part of our economy here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, coming out of this pandemic, how are things going? Overall, Bob, we really are, are seeing a great recovery to uh, our destination. Uh, the, the economy is certainly... Uh, 
doing much, much better, obviously, than we did in uh, um, 2020, and uh, beginning to get back to those levels and actually exceeding some of the levels in, in uh, uh, visitor spending. Um, the airport uh, in Fort Myers is really uh, growing uh, exponentially, uh, so people are traveling again, and mm. they're they're bringing those dollars that they saved from not going anywhere in 2020. They're bringing them, uh, and a lot of them are coming here to spend those uh, vacation dollars and enjoying themselves. We're, we're seeing people staying a little bit longer. Uh, certainly, the spending is up dramatically. And beginning to see some of our uh, traditional visitors from uh, the Northeast uh, and Midwest come back, and and that's good to see as their areas opened up. One of the first things they did after they got their their uh, shots was they uh, they started making plans for to travel, and Florida seemed to be their number one destination. Yeah, that's good news, Jack. So, h- how's a sports complex doing? It's uh, it, the complex itself is doing very well. Um, we are in a transition right now, uh, uh, switching uh, the uh, the, uh, the uh, operating company. But other than that, uh, they've been doing a good job. Our sales team has been out to really actively promoting uh, that facility. And we're getting a nice blend of not just sports events, but also entertainment as well. Mm. So uh, coming up here on the 3rd, uh, uh, we've got a Ben Allen concert in the new stadium there uh, at the complex. And that kind of is going to kick off the season of a number of uh, great uh, uh, entertainment events that we're going to have. Uh, and I think that that complex, just with the fact that it's it's a blend of different activities you can do here. It's certainly going to be good uh, for our overall economy and certainly the, the, uh, the eastern part of Collier County. So uh, many of our listeners may not be familiar with the sports com- uh, complex itself, but uh, give us an idea of what's there. Currently, uh, it, and it, it's located just on the north uh, quadrant of the intersection of I-75 and uh, 951, that exit 101, uh, just on the north side there in the uh, city gate area. Mm-hmm. And currently we have uh, uh, four rectangular playing fields uh, for soccer, lacrosse, uh, football, um, virtually anything you can play on a, on a, uh, a surface. That's uh, what we have there. We also, as I mentioned, we have a uh, about a 3,500-seat stadium uh, that is uh, all wired for television and sound, and uh, that's where we'll begin to, to see not just the finals of, of different sporting events, but also uh, entertainment events as well. We've you know we've never really had a, a solid outdoor um, activity. Um, destination for people to come and, and see that kind of stuff it's always been in an empty field or something like that mm-hmm. and now we're, we're going to have a dedicated place to to do that um the uh, next phase we'll be seeing about five new uh fields added to what we currently have the other thing that we've developed there is a um, we call it the great lawn area so it's a it's a gathering place for we've had several festivals Way back to uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, and uh, uh, we had a Mardi Gras festival there last year as well. Um, big, beautiful lake there uh, with a, a, a beach that surrounds it and a, a hmm. jogging trail all around that. 
Uh, believe it or not, it's big enough that you can sit there. Uh, we have a, the, the cove there, which is a great place to, to grab a, an adult beverage uh, or a, a, a Diet Coke, whatever you'd like, and actually watch a sunset over that beautiful lake. So hmm. uh, uh, we got a lot of things going for us with that new complex, and, uh, and we, we really are looking for great things and, and, and new activities to, to come there. I had no idea that all that was there. So, And, of course, the National Pickleball, Pickleball Championships are played. So do you have pickleball courts as well? Uh, we don't have pickleball there. Uh, that will be uh, the primary location for that is East, East Naples Community Park, where we have 64 pickleball courts, ah. uh, and that's where the uh, U.S. Uh, Open uh, Pickleball Championships occurred back in April. Um, looking at several other events we can bring to, to that uh, complex. Uh, we're going to add uh, pickleball in the new uh, um, Corkscrew, uh, uh, that's a count, new county park in the eastern part of the county. We'll have some pickleball courts there as well. And, boy, we're just seeing that sport pop up all over the place. Every time there's a new development uh, completed, instead of tennis courts, it's uh, pickleball courts. That's really seems to be the growing sport right now. Isn't that interesting? Again, Jack Wirt, Executive Director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jack, just generally appreciate your commentary here on the show. And, uh, of course, tourism is such an important part of our economy. And uh, you've just done a great job. And, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for your service uh, over these many years and thank you bob uh, appreciate being on the show and your friendship and uh, uh, we'll continue our my predecessor or my uh, successor here uh, paul Barnes, is uh, really a, a veteran of the tourism industry and i think you'll enjoy talking to him in the future as well thank you so much jack all right coming up we're going to be visiting with uh Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He's also the uh, founder and president of Executive Management Services. He does business in over uh, 30 states, over 6,000 employees. And, uh, well, the uh, SEIU wanted to unionize him, and he said you can do that th through secret ballot. They wanted him to sign a neutrality agreement, which he refused to do. And... Uh, the consequence was uh, two and a half years of dirty tricks by SEIU leaders, and uh, he prevailed and wrote a book about it, The Devil at a Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience.
have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Dave Bego. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. I was telling our listeners before the break about, uh, you know, your dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years and all the dirty tricks that they played. So always counting on you for bringing us information on what's happening on the union front. Any new developments? Well, I just uh, want to start off by saying that, um, you know, the unions control the Democratic Party, and they're really behind the scenes trying to get Biden to put things into place that um, will allow them to force unionize. You know, the big one, and I've talked about this before, is the PRO Act, and um, uh, where it allows them to do basically what uh, I, I talk about in my book, the SAIU, to do against me and my company was to force unionize our people by taking away the uh, secret ballot election going to card check. And this is what they want to do. But uh, they're also pushing for things that um, are really intolerable. And, and that's being able to come on your property and, um, you know, uh, go after your people and, and target them and and, and uh, try to uh, brainwash them and scare them into uh, being with the union and... Uh, and uh, also having little um, rallies on your um, property and stuff like that. But the, the Supreme Court recently decided in favor of employers on a property dispute with union agents uh, seeking access to workers for purpose of union organizing. So um, that's a good thing that the Supreme Court has overruled what's been going on behind the scenes with the National Labor Relations Board and, and uh, Biden to allow them to come on uh, businesses' properties and uh, force unionize people. That's good news. I mean, to, to, to respect property rights, just because you have a business there doesn't mean that uh, people should be able to abuse your right to your property, and you should be able to determine who can come on and who can't come on your our property because it is yours. I mean, and the uh, Supreme Court, again, a, a big, major decision. Uh, they made that uh, voting rights uh, decision yesterday or the day before, which is also uh, terrific. And the, the decision in California to protect uh, people's privacy when they're donating to not-for-profits. So uh, we're beginning to see some more and more good decisions out of the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they're uh, standing up and, and um, you know, looking at things 
the way they should instead of being uh, politically motivated or being afraid to do things because they're getting pressured too. Yeah, of course, now that uh, they've made these decisions, we're beginning to hear more rumors about, uh, well, we need to pack the court. <laughs> right, right. And that's that's what it's all about, you know. And they're the ones behind the scenes getting to do that, and they're the ones behind the scenes that want the borders open because they want uh, more people to come across the border for two reasons. Number one, um, they get these people, even though they're not... Um, uh, legal Americans, uh, they get them to voting machines and have them vote uh, illegally, but those votes get counted. And um, and the other reason is, is well, once these people get jobs here and that, then they'll go in and unionize them. Yeah, that's uh, sad indeed. And uh, as I understand it, part of this human infrastructure pr- package that they're trying to tout, this four to six trillion dollar infrastructure package, it includes uh, things that are just really uh, grease the skids for unionization. In other words, make it almost impossible not to unionize. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is uh, this whole infrastructure thing is uh, again being pushed by the unions to uh, uh, get uh, people jobs and then to force unionize them. And uh, um, also, uh, they want all this budget money because. Uh, behind the scenes what's going to happen is the democratic party is going to uh, give the unions uh, big pieces of cash like you know in in the pro act they talked about giving the uh, uh, SEIU i think uh, 400 million dollars really yeah unbelievable well dave I, you know there's a lot going on a lot hanging in the balance right now a lot's going to happen in the next couple of weeks uh, and i'm particularly concerned about the laws that might be passed like infrastructure bills uh, concerned about uh, you know the desire to pack the court now that they're beginning to see more conservative decisions coming out of the Supreme Court. Uh, we're we're not in a good position right now as a country. No, we're not, and uh, the American people need to stand up and understand that you know uh, all these things they're throwing out to people, especially you know with Biden's entitlements programs he's he's pushing. Um, People got to understand that uh, at the end of the day, if they take over this country totally and make it into a socialist communist country, people, they're going to have less entitlements and being poorer than they are today. Uh, even these ones now that are staying home because of the unemployment benefits and they're getting $300 of cash a week for staying home instead of going to work, um, uh, they're going to be poorer uh, if this country becomes a socialist communist country. No, no question. I mean, it's so short-sighted, it seems to me, if you are someone who's uh, on unemployment and uh, you're not seeking work because you can make more on unemployment, that's going to that's gonna go away in September, I believe it is. And when it goes away, uh, you're far better off finding a job. That there's, there's a lot of needs out there. Employers are looking for people, and uh, you can find probably a better job now than you'd be able to find in, in let's say, October. Well, wages are way up, and um, um, you know it's um, it's it's sad what's going on out there. It's really hard for companies all across the country, including us, to find people, and um, we're just fighting a battle. And uh, you know, we need to get people. In, you know, here in Indiana, our governor actually uh, uh, put into law to over overrun that uh, from the federal government here in Indiana, but he got sued for it, and uh, a local court. Justice in Marion County here upheld the uh, the lawsuit by it was like five people, and so um, 
they had to put that on hold. So we still got people here in Indiana getting the unemployment benefits and the cash checks and that. But they're talking about uh, reversing that uh, judge's decision here pretty soon so that we get people back to work. That's a good thing. I mean, I did read about that decision. And uh, so that, that basically uh, the governor said, look, we're going to do away with these benefits, these extra benefits, as many conservative uh, states are doing. We've done here in uh, in, in Florida. And, yep. the, and the judges said, no, if they're available uh, through the federal government, you got to pay them. That's unbelievable. I know. I know. And, uh, again, a lot of this is all politically motivated and uh, and behind the scenes controlled by the left and the unions. Again, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a great read. And uh, you, you read, you, when you read it, it's, it's almost like you can't make this stuff up, this, this, the, the atrocities. For example, uh, getting the clergy to uh, go to the public to uh, complain and, or to, to demonize Dave's business, uh, <laughs> families, customers, you name it, they're, they're, they're uh, just to do anything to disparage Dave and his business in order to, to uh, force him to unionize. Uh, it's just not fair how they operate. And uh, they, don't, they use dirty tricks, and it's just like you read about in the Democrat Party. You know, uh, you may, the, the new, latest thing is, did you realize that it's the Republicans who wanted to fund the police? <laughs> <laughs> I know, they, 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 they talk out of both sides of their mouth, and they don't tell the truth, and... Uh, that's a sad thing. But one other thing I want to tell you real quick is, you know, um, Biden is, um, he's putting a, a bipartisan pact, he says bipartisan pact, to supersize the IRS so they could go in and, uh, you know, do more evaluating of businesses and everything else and and uh, collect more money and probably fine them and do stuff more like that, too. And this is just another example of bringing down the free market. Yep. I mean, uh, you remember the name Lois Lerner. I think it was about 10 years ago. She was. Yep. Uh, and basically what happens is they begin to weaponize the IRS and uh, use it against conservatives. So you may recall that woman in Texas who had a, kind of a bipartisan organization. And yep. she ended up in court. She ended up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees because the IRS was harassing her because she wanted to... Uh, it was a, a cons- uh, they they saw her as a conservative. Did want her to be able to operate? It's really, really yeah. a shame. Dave, I just, yeah. Jen, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, sounds good, and uh, have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. And again, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. The Devil at Our Doorstep dot com is the website. You can check out uh, Dave's website. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it uh, on Monday. Well, as usual, we'll visit with Mark Schulman. We'll be talking up to minute uh, global events. We'll visit with Jim McTagg, author of Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. So it's going to be a great show. I look forward to it. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful weekend and uh, day with those who you love. And I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and uh, July 4th, again, celebrating the birth of this magnificent country and our Constitution on uh, 245 years. I hope you make it a great day. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>